What do you love about music? To begin with, everything. Putting on a great show is the most important thing you can do. One great rock show can change the world. The best of list is the highest point of a critic's year, and we never need an excuse to rank our favorite albums. I'm Greg Cott of the Chicago Tribune. And I'm Jim DeRogatis from WBEZ and Columbia College. Greg and I will name our favorite albums of 2012 so far, and we'll review the 34th record by rock and roll legend Neil Young. You're listening to Sound Opinions, and time now for the best albums of the year so far. Greg, as you already mentioned, we live to list our favorite records, and the only show we love more than the year-end best of is the mid-year best of. (laughs) Here we are in June. It's time. You get to go first. We're going to count down from, what, number four each to number one. Right. For number four for me, Jim, and a sure contender for the number one spot, actually, is this new album by Dr. John. New album by an artist who's been around forever, it seems. He's 71 years old, but what an album he's made with Lockdown. He's collaborating with the Black Keys' Dan Arbach, which should bring The Good Doctor a new audience. But it's all about him, really. I think what Arbach did is surround him with a cool little session combo in his studio and then took Dr. John a little bit out of his comfort zone. I think in the past few years, Dr. John has sort of settled into this tourist R&B mode, playing the standards with that New Orleans flair on piano. Orbach said, you know, let's go back and play some of these funky keyboards he used to experiment with, you know, the Farfisa, the Optagon, things like that, starting to incorporate that voodoo vibe that those early Dr. John records had in the late 60s and early 70s. I'm talking about albums like Gree Gree and things like that, when he was inventing this Dr. John Night Tripper persona. So he's bringing him back to that funky vibe that he had 30, 40 years ago at the start of his career, and he's combining it with contemporary lyrics. Dr. John has written some of his strongest lyrics on this album, addressing the crisis in the world, addressing the crisis in New Orleans, addressing the crisis in his personal life, looking back on his life and saying, you know, I'm just lucky to be still alive, much Mm. less still making records of this quality. So it's a wonderful comeback. Let's call it a comeback. He hasn't made a record this good in decades. It ranks with his best work. Dr. John with Lockdown. Here's a track from it. It's called Getaway from Dr. John on Sound Opinions. Will I ever see 
Get away from Dr. John from my number four album on my mid-year list, Locked Down. Jim, what's your number four album? Well, Greg, I love the Dr. John record, too. It's somewhere in my top ten as we hit the mid-year point. But at number four, I have the full-length debut by the Alabama Shakes, Boys and Girls. We love this band. We had them as guests recently on Sound Opinions, a stellar live performance. We were skeptical at first. There was so much hype, especially after the CMJ Festival in New York, about this group. Then we saw them live at South by Southwest, and then the record's even better than they are live. A lot of the credit goes to Brittany Howard, young woman in her 20s who sounds timeless. Aretha Franklin, any of the soul greats you can name, never had more wisdom passion, soul, and spirit in their voice than Britney does. And the band that backs her up are perfect in playing music that is resonant of the rich history of Southern soul without ever being revivalist. I think it's partly because she's writing from the heart. She's writing about current concerns, guys who'd done her wrong, things that broke her heart, and so there's none of that Lenny Kravitz dust off and do the retro thing. It's real, it's immediate, it's live, and it's in the moment. This is the opening track from Boys and Girls. It's called Hold On by the Alabama Shakes on Sound Opinions.
Hold On by the Alabama Shakes. Impossible to believe. These are 20-somethings, right, Greg? Indeed, Jim. It's a great band. Actually, I think their live show kind of eclipses that record. It's a great record. I agree. I'm waiting for that next record to come out when I think they can really nail down that live sound. Here's another band that I think is great live. wasn't necessarily documented on record to the best degree, Japan Droids, band out of Vancouver. In fact, their first record was supposed to be their swan song. They put it out in 2009. It was called Post Nothing. It was a fine record, but they basically said, you know, we haven't really gotten anywhere. We're, we're calling it a day. People got a hold of some of the songs on that old thing called the Internet, started spreading them around, and Japan Droids suddenly had a new life. And I think the aptly named second album, Celebration Rock, is the album that really delivers. Just two pieces. We're talking about Brian King on guitar, David Prowse on drums. They remind me of Vintage Who or Thin Lizzy. They make this giant stadium roar on this record. And the pace is even more breathless, if that's possible, than Post Nothing. The first five or six songs just blur by. But I think what really makes the album for me, Jim, is that there's a hint of melancholy underneath. These guys know that it could all go away in a minute, and then what happens? That knowledge, I think, reminds me a lot of the great work, say, that the replacements did in the 80s. They're partying, they're celebrating, but there's this sense of, you know, it ain't going to last. And I love that quality about this album. Here's a song that I think captures that ambiguity so well. The House That Heaven Built from Japan Droid's Celebration Rock, my number three album of the year so far on Sound Opinions.
That is Japandroids, the house that heaven built as we go down our list. A nice choice, Mr. Cod. I'm fond of that record as well. But it's time for the number three record on my list. Got to mention this band a couple of times this year on Sound Opinions, the DBs. Power pop is one of those genres that is never really respected a lot. But I think it's also one of the genres that ages best in all of rock and roll. Mm. Middle-aged paunch, losing your hair, not hip at all anymore, doesn't matter. If you can still write incredibly infectious songs that explode with exuberance and which make you feel as if you've been singing them your whole life, you got the goods. Now, the DBs are a band I grew up with. They were part of that Hoboken sound in the 80s when Hoboken was the new Liverpool and Power Pop was the rage. Like the Feelies, which came back last year with one of the best albums of their career, the DBs have done the same. It's been a 30-year break since the two main men, Peter Holsapple and Chris Stamey, have been together as the DBs. Both of those guys have done amazing things in their careers. Holsapple was the key sideman, multi-instrumentalist with R.E.M. during their last great stretch, less memorably played with Hootie and the Blowfish. Stamey's a very active producer. He was in the Golden Palominos. But boy, like Lennon and McCartney, when they come together, you get something special because Holsapple is that emotional, earnest guy who is balanced by the arch Artie Stamey, and it comes together with a rhythm section that deserves special praise. Gene Holder's one of those quiet bassists that really holds it all together. You wouldn't even notice him, except there's no DBs without him. And Will Rigby, a great drummer who's played a lot with Steve Earle and gives us one song here, a la Bill Berry's Don't Go Back to Rockville with R.E.M. Every one of these guys makes an invaluable contribution. Falling Off the Sky, fine album from start to finish, Every song, a killer track. I would play them all if I could, but I have to go with one. This is Before We Were Born, one of the Stamey tracks by the DBs on Sound Opinions.
That's before we were born on sound opinions from the DBs who have made Jim DeRogatis' number three album of the year so far, and I concur, that's a pretty darn good record. Jim and I also want to hear what's topping your list at this midway point. Share your favorite record at 888-859-1800. We're going to continue our countdown after a quick break on sound opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX. And later on, Jim and I review Americana, the latest album from Neil Young and Crazy Horse. Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott with Jim DeRogatis. That's a little bit of Kelly Hogan from her new album, I Like to Keep Myself in Pain. Some of you may have no idea who Kelly Hogan is. She's been around for 20 years. I think she's been the primo backup singer of the last decade, really. People may know her best from her work with Nico Case. She's been on every Nico Case album and tour, a vital onstage and offstage foil for Nico. And as well, she's sung on a number of fine records. People like Jacob Dylan have hired her, Andrew Bird, the Waco Brothers. She's worked with a lot of people over the last decade, but never really got a chance to be put in the spotlight herself. She had a fine Atlanta band in the early 90s called the Jody Grind. That band broke up when there was a horrible van crash killing two of the members. She made a couple of solo records since then, but really never got any serious recognition as a great singer in her own right, which she is. I think that the new album, I Like to Keep Myself in Pain, is going to rectify that imbalance. It's on the anti-label. Her friend Nico Case is also on anti, and she's working with some top-flight musicians on this record. Booker T. Jones, for example, playing keyboards. The great James Gadsden, who's worked with people like Bill Withers and Beck on drums. But really, the centerpiece of this record is Hogan and her voice and her interpretive skills. She's called in a few favors. Her friends come up with some terrific songs for her. Andrew Bird, Robin Hitchcock, M. Ward, Freakwater's Catherine Irwin, The Handsome Family, all contribute vital songs to this record. And they run the gamut. They really get a sense of what Hogan's interests are as a great interpreter of music, but also 
one with incredible taste in music, from pop to soul to country. This really covers the range of her interests. But the song I'm going to focus on is the one original on the record. It's called Golden, and I think it holds a special place in Hogan's heart as well as Nico Case's. It was a song that Hogan wrote for Case over a decade ago when they were both struggling. And, and Case called Hogan from the road and said, you know, I just wonder where this whole thing is going. And this is kind of a buck-up song. Like, it's going to be okay. Everything's going to work out. But at the same time, you sense this just hint of rage and resilience in the voice. You know, and it really sort of rises up there. There's an emotional quality to the way she sings these words that make you think, you know, she's feeling this too. And now, a decade later, it's really great to see her finally get some recognition. It's Kelly Hogan with the song Golden from I Like to Keep Myself in Pain on Sound Opinions. I want to hear your voice coming out of my radio. Kelly Hogan with Golden from I Like to Keep Myself in Pain, Greg's number two pick. An absolute masterpiece, Greg. It's on my list as well. You know, I'm going to give listeners a little bit of insight. When The only time we ever compare notes is during the two best-of shows, mid-year and end-of-the-year, because we have to figure out who's going to talk about what. It's rare. So you and I both have to strip down to our shorts, and we we (laughs) wrestle in the jello. Now, I got the weight on you, but you're a little more spry. You won Hogan. I won the next one. I know you love this record, too. It is LP's third official album in a very long career Mm -hmm. called Cancer for Cure. Hip-hop has this horrible habit of taking great talents and innovators for granted once they've been around too long. And in the short attention span world of hip-hop, that's like a year and a half, right? (laughs) LP is old news. The DJ and producer known as El Producto or Jamie Moline. He's been around for a long time from Brooklyn, 
pioneering this very arty soundscape assault. I think it's the logical next step of what Public Enemy was doing when it was great. Sound collage that hits you in the face includes elements of everything you can imagine and the kitchen sink, but really smart and often very political. I think this is the best of his albums, and he's never made a bad one. He may not have the best flow or the best voice in hip-hop, but the content overall, the songs, that's what's happening. We have a tune that examines a veteran returning to America suffering from post-traumatic stress. We have a song about drugs in the streets, but from a really unique perspective of the drug dealer being seduced by the poisons that he's selling and ruining the community with. And a first for hip-hop, I really think, a really smart and very dramatic examination of domestic abuse from the point of view of kind of a bonehead neighbor who may not have ever thought about this issue but sees something horrible that happens to this woman in his apartment building and begins to question what he should do. Going to the cops? He can't imagine that. But on the other hand, he comes to the conclusion, I wouldn't blame you if you killed that guy who's hurting you. What a powerful track. This is LP's For My Upstairs Neighbor on Sound Opinions. I'd like some water, please. This room is way too hot to be here sitting and explaining. There's no joy in repetition. Plus, you all know what I know when that's a heaping pot of donut holes. I didn't even know them. I am not your perfect witness. Your team of fat blue buddies waddling around and trying to crack the case are better off locating someone else. I spent the day on my New York-ish. Didn't even meet them once. And no, I'm not upset. I'm just another guy minding his business. But if I had to guess, I'd say whatever happened probably had to happen anyway. If crime's a definition, do your job and write it up. But find another mother to harass. I'm getting tired of this redundancy rendition. Come on, you know the drill. These walls are thick. I got my own ish that I'm dealing with. I haven't seen or heard a thing. I never met him. That's the city. Good luck working at Columbo. I'm a bounce. You got my info, but you'll never get my pity. And I'm out. If you kill him, I won't. After my regular alarm of tongue as blade that resonated clear through thin constructed walls. After my first smoke, but before I cop the paper from Bodega, bumped into you in a stairwell in our constructed hall. On my New York, this is the custom. Every bop, don't talk to anyone. Look forward, mind yourself, continue walk. The halls are thin and so is skin. When bearing witness to the sounds you're generating every day, guess it reminded me of something. It must have taken every muscle in your body to produce that little twitch you probably thought was passing muster for a smile. But trust, I recognize the gesture. I have seen it many times. I read the tells. I know the sacred art of bluffing. Maybe I shouldn't have, but as you passed the stop to put my hand on your left arm, the repo paused. I meant no harm. You look startled as I lean into your ear and said the first and last thing ever to you. Do the thing you have to, and I swear I'll tell them nothing. LP from the new album Cancer for Cure with the song For My Upstairs Neighbor. All of that, Greg, and the whole thing opens with a William S. Burroughs quote. (laughs) How can you not love an album like that? Time for your number one pick of the year so far. Well, that's a great choice, Jim, and it ties in very nicely with my number one pick because LP produced this album. It is called Rap Music by rapper Killer Mike. 
otherwise known as Michael Render, out of Atlanta. Started out with that Outcast crew. He's been associated with albums like Stanconia and the movie Idlewild. He worked with Big Boy in 2003. He had his own solo debut in 2003. It was actually a top 10 album and hasn't been heard from much since then. He's released a bunch of records, but they've all been kind of small mixtape type self-released jobs. Rap music, I think, is the record that really establishes him as one of the great MCs of the last decade, even though he's not often recognized as such. This album covers a huge span of subject matter. He talks about everything from his love of reading to his sense of where the black community has been over the last few decades. And the song I'm going to play, I think, is at the heart of this record, in which he talks about his community, the African-American community, since the Reagan era, and bringing it forward along the way, referencing the classic works by people like Ice Cube, Public Enemy, talking about the Diallo shooting in some of these songs, the community that is falling apart in ghetto gospel. Finally, he finds salvation in the closing track, Rap Music. But here is the track called Reagan, in which he basically brings his life forward over the last 30 years and talks about where his community has been, where it's going. There's no filler on this record. Every track counts. The production is fantastic. Those big 808 drums, those eerie keyboards that LP supplies, but over the top it's about Killer Mike and the variety of angles at which he's able to attack these songs. From rapid fire to slow and drugged out, he's a master of many styles. Here's Killer Mike with Reagan from Rap Music, my number one album of the year so far on Sound Opinions. Our government has a firm policy not to capitulate to terrorist demands, that no concessions policy remains in force. In spite of the wildly speculative and false stories about arms for hostages and alleged ransom payments, we did not, repeat, did not trade weapons or anything else for hostages. The ballot of the bullet, some freedom or some Will we ever do it bigger? Just keep settling for look. We brag on having bread, but none of us are bakers. We all talk having greens, but none of us own acres. If none of us own acres and none of us grow wheat, then who will feed our people when our people need to eat? So it seems our people starve from lack of understanding. Cause all we seem to give them is some balling and some dancing. And some talking about our car and imaginary mansions. We should be indicted for that we inciting. Children deaf and pretending it's exciting. We are advertisements for agony and pain. We exploit the youth, we tell them to join the gang. We tell them dope stories, introduce them to the gang. Just like I love a North introduced us to in the 80s when them came on military plane. A few months ago, I told the American people I did not trade arms for hostages. My heart and my best intentions still tell me that's true, but the facts and the evidence tell me it is not. The end of the Reagan era, I'm like Lemma 12 old enough to understand it, see the change forever. They declared the war like a war on terror, but what it really did was let the police terrorize whoever. But mostly black boys, but they would call us and lay us on our belly while they fingers on the was on our head, they dousels on our crotches, and they would beat us up if we had diamonds on our watches, and they would take our the monies as they pick our pockets, I guess that that's the privilege of policing for some profits, but thanks to Reaganomics, prison turned to profits, cause free labor's the cornerstone of U.S. economics, cause slavery was abolished, unless you are imprisoned, you think I am 
and then read the 13th Amendment. Involuntary servitude and slavery, it prohibits. That's why they giving fenders time in double digits. Ronald Reagan was an actor, not at all a factor. Just an employee of the country's real masters. Just like the Bushes, Clinton and Obama. Just another talking head telling lies on teleprompters. That is Reagan from Killer Mike from Rap Music, my top album of the year so far. Jim, what's your number one? Well, I love the Killer Mike as well, but as I said, you won that in the Jello wrestling match. <laughs> this record you're not as fond of. I think you're missing out on something, and if anybody out there hasn't heard it yet, well, you need to. Spiritualized is another band that has been around with a sound that's been very familiar for a long time. It would be easy to take their wonderful orchestrated mix of gospel and psychedelia for granted. But let me tell you, Sweetheart, Sweet Light, I think, goes to a new level, Greg. I don't think this is just because I've read a lot about the backstory (laughs) of Jason Pierce that went into this record. I felt this way from the first time I heard it, and I was unaware of any of this. Pierce has always explored that weird world of spiritual transcendence and drug transcendence where they collide. He's had bouts with drug addiction. He's had some tough times in his life, but he's never journeyed closer toward the white light, to use the Aldous Huxley phrase, than he did in recent years battling degenerative liver disease and and really debilitating chemotherapy. I think this guy saw a vision of his future. He's always been singing about that, and now he's actually glimpsed it, and it goes into making these songs some of the most emotional and most profound that he's ever produced. Plus, I'm a sucker for that sound. Hmm. All right, you can say, oh, Velvet Underground with a little bit of gospel. We've heard that before. I don't know if you've ever heard it done this well. I could listen to this forever. Oh, he's given us another album of songs that sound that wonderful. Yeah, thank you, Jason Pierce. Right now, it's at my number one. We'll check back at the end of the year and see what the best albums of the year are. Here, though, is the song called Heading for the Top by Spiritualized on Sound Opinions. You should be heading for the top now Fight a hundred thousand years You should have found a little heaven In our soul that could have washed away the tears Instead, you wasted all the time And there's a thousand ways to cry And in our haste to get a Oh, 
Heading for the top now by Spiritualized from its new album, Sweetheart, Sweet Light. My number one record of the year so far. But Greg, we have six months to go. We'll see where we're at in December. To see our mid-year picks, our whole list, go to soundopinions.org. There you can also listen to archive shows and see what topped our lists in years past. Up next, Greg and I will review the new album from Neil Young, and I'll add a song to the Desert Island Jukebox. That's in a minute on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX. Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott with Jim DeRigatis, and that's a little bit of Neil Young with Crazy Horse from his new album. You may remember that melody or some of those words. It's Oh Susanna, a song you may have sung in kindergarten. Now Neil Young and Crazy Horse are attacking it on their new album, Americana. And that's exactly what this album is all about. It is looking at the vernacular of American folk music going back to the 19th century and bringing it up to date in a new album. Neil Young and Crazy Horse have been working off and on since 1970, Jim. I mean, we're talking about signpost albums in Young's career. He's made solo records. He's worked with other groups of musicians. But he keeps going back to Crazy Horse every few years. And we're talking about classic albums. Everybody knows this is nowhere. Rust Never Sleeps, Ragged Glory, Zuma, Greendale in 2003 was the last time this group of musicians collaborated. And there was some talk that Young would never again get back together again with Ralph Molina, Pancho San Pedro, and Billy Talbot to make an entire album. There seemed to be some personal issues there that weren't being resolved. Well, lo and behold, earlier this year, he got back together with the boys at the ranch in Northern California, mm. and they started jamming, and I think uh, Young was feeling it again. He, was, he started releasing some music that they were producing online through his website, 
and they recorded not one but two albums and are coming back with a full-fledged tour in the fall. So this is huge news in the Neil Young and Crazy Horse camp to realize this incredible outpouring of creativity in the last six months. We're going to review Americana in a second, this album of basically folk cover songs, but let's play a track from it first. It's a track called Jesus's Chariot, better known as She'll Be Coming Around the Mountain, perhaps, from Neil Young and Crazy Horse on Sound Opinions. Neil Young and Crazy Horse, Jesus's Chariot, she'll be coming round the mountain on Sound Opinions. Greg, Crazy Horse is the vehicle Neil Young was meant to drive. There are just some pairings in rock history, Bob Dylan and the band, I would put Neil Young and Crazy Horse even above that, that are just perfect. These guys were made to make music together. So, you know, it's a horrible cliche, but these guys could could do a musical version of the phone book and it Mm. would be great. Mm. Here, they are tackling those songs that are in the Learn to Play Recorder in third grade musical (laughs) notes book, you know, that everybody had in grammar school. But Neil Young, as usual, has a purpose. He told American Songwriter magazine that he wanted to cover these songs because every one of them have verses that have been ignored. And often they hold the key to what these songs are really about. There's a darkness in those verses that doesn't make it to the kindergarten recital. The tempos are a little slower than usual. There's not as much Crazy Horse guitar fire as usual. But I've always thought that the key to Crazy Horse, you know, the guitars and the grunge get all the attention. But it's really that rhythm section. And they lock into a groove, and Young rides it. And I'm just pleased as punch to have this collection. I think it's a buy-it album all the way. Jim, I think that Young has often been misinterpreted. Why are you doing this? This seems so perverse. But there's a reason to his rhyme. And in this particular case, these are songs that he first started hearing and interpreting, not you know so much in kindergarten, but when he was starting to play in bands in Toronto in the mid-60s, he heard other musicians interpreting these songs. He goes, wow, there's a lot more there than I realized. He started to hear the protest songs and the murder ballads, not just kindergarten songs here. So there was a deeper 
element to these songs that he was trying to explore. And in a way, I think it set him off on this career in rock, where I see him as rock and roll's answer to the great historian Howard Zinn, who's always had mm. taken this alternative view of the Americas. I mean, think about it. You know, think about songs like Cortez the Killer and Pocahontas and Powderfinger and Going yeah. Home. All these songs where he explores the creation of America through the lens of sort of an alternative history. It's not about conquest and look at this triumphant Glory. people coming through here. It's about look at the price that was paid to forge this country. And I think this album is very much in that tradition where he says, really look at these songs and what are they saying? I mean, there are murderers in these songs. There are outlaws. There are acts of violence and blood and outrage and betrayal. And, and they really tell our story in a way that maybe we don't fully appreciate. In other words, we've taken these songs for granted too long. We shouldn't. I think this record has real value as not only a way of looking back at, at folk music, but also in the, the hunger with which Young and Crazy Horse bring to them. The way they play them, they clearly enjoy playing together again, and you can hear it on the Buy It, Burn It, Trash It scale. It is a Buy It album for me as well. Tell you, little buddy, this whole island is bewitched. You remember, we were shipwrecked together. Every once in a while, we'd like to jump in the rowboat row out to the desert island and play a track we cannot live without on the desert island jukebox. And Jim, this week it's your turn. Thank you, Mr. Cott. You know, sociologists talk about the concept of a gateway drug, not just in the drug world, but something that turns you on to an art form, an experience, a sport, what have you, and you have to kind of be indoctrinated into it to really fall in love, right? Ask your friends sometimes what is the first record they ever heard that they really remember loving. And there's invariably a great story. And it usually involves an older sibling or a cousin who turns you on to a piece of music and suddenly, like, the light goes off and I, I just love this stuff. I can't get enough. My dad died when I was five, and one of the few things he left behind was a collection of battered old LPs. There are two in there that I remember for very different reasons. Herb Albert and the Tijuana Brass, uh, Whipped Cream and Other Delights, not for the music, and the best of Frankie Lane. <laughs> at, at age six or so, when I started playing this record, something about it just made me get the sense that music was this incredible, mysterious force that I couldn't live without. Frankie Lane was an incredible storyteller. He was a great a dramatician. He was so far over the top. Even as a little kid, I knew this was a cartoon, but it was a cartoon I loved. You gotta love this story. Here is a guy born as Francesco Paolo Lovecchio in Chicago, who becomes the epitome in the late 40s and through the 50s of the American West, puts on the chaps and the spurs and the <laughs> cowboy hat, and sings these big, bold, orchestrated cowboy songs, okay, that wind up on countless soundtracks like High Noon. And we're not talking like cool 
Ennio Morricone spaghetti western. We're talking the ultimate cheese. But that baritone and the big orchestra behind him and the horns, you got to love it. Whatever he's selling, you got to buy. <laughs> Remember in the Blues Brothers movie when the guys are about to be destroyed playing behind the chicken wire in the cowboy bar, you know, you know, have an R&B band from Chicago playing a cowboy bar. They play Rawhide and they manage to save the day. Or in Blazing Saddles, right? Frankie Lane has the song, the title track in Blazing Saddles. Other than that, I don't ever hear anybody reference Frankie Lane anymore. You've had all these weird kind of revivals in the country world. You know, people working with Dolly Parton or Loretta Lynn. Nobody has started the Frankie Lane revival. And I'm just waiting for the day. If you have no idea what I've been talking about, here is the track I'm going to put in the Desert Island jukebox. I really wrestled with this for weeks. I wanted to pay homage to Frankie Lane. Do I go with Gunfight at the OK Corral? Do I go with Cool Water? Rawhide? Oh, no, that's too obvious. I decided to go with Cry of the Wild Goose, just because (laughs) this is the ultimate in absurdity of Frankie Lane. Just listen to these lyrics. My heart knows what the wild goose knows, and I must go where the wild goose goes. Wild goose, brother goose, which is best, a wandering fool or a heart at rest? I mean, those are words of profound wisdom. Here is Frankie Lane with Cry of the Wild Goose on Sound Opinions. My heart knows what the wild goose knows. I must go where the wild goose goes. Wild goose, brother goose, which is best, a wandering fool or a heart at Tonight I heard the wild goose cry Winging north in the lonely sky Try to sleep but it won't no use Cause I'm a brother to the old wild goose She's got to learn that it ain't no use to love brother or brother. My heart knows what the wild goose knows, and I must go where the wild goose goes. Wild goose, brother goose, which is best, a wandering foot or a heart at rest? Oh, you wild goose. Cabin is warm and snow is deep I got a woman who lies asleep she'll wake up tomorrow's dawn she'll find poor critter that man is gone my heart knows what the wild goose knows I must go where the wild goose goes Francesco Lovecchio, or should I say Frankie Lane with Cry of the Wild Goose my desert island jukebox pick for the week The Sound Opinions Desert Island Jukebox is supported by Maker's Mark Bourbon. Maker's Mark, it is what it isn't. Greg, what do we have on the show next week? Jim, i got to say you've outdone yourself with that one. Oh, thank you. Unbelievable. Next week, Jim, we have an in-studio visit from funk rocker Van Hunt. Greg, we have some thank yous to say, as always, on the way out. Sound Opinions is produced by Jason Saldana and Robin Lynn. Our production assistants are Michael DeBonis and Annie Minoff, and our new intern is Deborah Olalea. But we cannot forget our fearless leader, our executive producer, Tori Southside Malatia. 
you just know he's all over Frankie Lane, right? On Sound Opinions, everyone's a critic. So give us a call on our hotline, 888-859-1800. New messages. Yeah, my name is Monty, and I'm uh, calling from Chicago Burbs. Just got done listening to the dance music show. Really great stuff. You know, just one... Thing, though, I was just surprised I did not hear, and that was Paul Oakenfold. You know, Paul Oakenfold, I mean, for a while there, I remember him being like the number one DJ in the world, you know, highest paid, highest earning, and he was doing all types of stuff across the board to the great single that he had put out with Britney Murphy. I'm a dancer, and, I, and I'm a dance machine, and I, I love, love to dance. I live for it. And, uh, you know, when I go out and I still hear that song, even now, it's just, it gets me going. All right. Take care, guys. Bye. Hey, Jim and Greg. This is Josh from New York City, and uh, I wanted to add a name to the list that I think that you unfortunately forgot when you were talking about electronic dance music. You said that Kraftwerk were sort of the Beatles to that movement. Well, if it wasn't for a composer named Raymond Stott, who did a three-volume set of albums called Soothing Sounds for Baby, you know, there might not be any of these innovations at all. music basically just to try to get something to soothe uh, babies to sleep, but in later years it was sort of cited as um, a huge influence for many electronic bands, and it almost doesn't even sound like music, but if you listen to it, you realize it's really the seeds of what became the huge electronic music uh, movement. Uh, anyway, uh, great show, and keep up the work. Hi, my name is Dennis. I live in Trenton, New Jersey. Uh, I was really, actually, incredibly touched by this week's show, the, the focus on Willie Nelson and the depth of Willie Nelson's career, and also the fact that it was followed up by the, you know, one of my all-time Desert Island songs, The Jam, playing That's Entertainment. It moved me, okay, because, you know, when I was a kid, I used to listen to my dad play The Outlaws, and I thought, oh, they sucked. You should listen to stuff like The Jam or The Damned or, you know. As I've grown older, I've developed a very deep respect and appreciation for the music of Willie Nelson. Mars, don't let 
And so it just, it just touched me. It just touched me that today, after a big uh, Father's Day party at our house, I'm cleaning up, I'm listening to your show, and I'm getting into it because I'm hearing all of this really cool stuff about Willie Nelson. And then what comes on next, but that's entertainment. It was perfectly done, guys. So happy Father's Day, guys. Ciao. No more messages. Cowboys like smoky old pool rooms and clear mountain mornings. Little warm puppies and children and girls of the night. To give us your opinions on Sound Opinions, call our hotline, 888-859-1800. We'll be back next week with more Sound Opinions, produced by WBEZ Chicago and distributed by PRX. To make you think he's right.